Welcome to 1075, Shortage on the Colorado River, a podcast series by the Climate Assessment for the Southwest that explores what the first ever shortage declaration on the Colorado River would mean to those living in the Southwest. I'm Zach Guido, CLEMA staff scientist, here with my colleague Ryan Thomas. In this episode, we'll talk with Mohammed Mahmoud from the Central Arizona Project, or CAP, and discuss the CAP's role in delivering Colorado River water throughout Arizona as well as what a shortage would mean to the CAP system. Mohammed is a planning an- analyst with the Colorado Rivers Program Department of Central Arizona Project. Welcome to the podcast, Mohammed. Thank you. Glad to be here. I, we can start off by um, just starting at the at the basics. So what what is uh, the Central Arizona Project and uh, and what does it do? Well, from a physical standpoint, The Central Arizona Project is essentially a 336-mile aqueduct, if you will, that travels uh, just south of the Bill Williams River, a little bit further south uh, from Lake Havasu, and it travels all the way um, eastwards and southwards uh, to Central Arizona. It travels uh, into Phoenix and down towards Tucson and actually terminates uh, just south of uh, Tucson. From a historical standpoint, the Central Arizona Project was originally a federal project. Um, It was built by the Bureau of Reclamation. Construction began in, I think, 1973. And as far as the system actually being able to make deliveries, um, I think the first uh, water delivered through the canal was in 1985, and the actual system wasn't considered uh, substantially complete up until 1993. That's when it, it was able to deliver uh, down to Tucson. Um, it, it cost about a little, a little upwards of $4 billion. Um, and, you know, I'd mentioned it's a federal project, but um, CAP itself, the entity, or our business name, which is the Central Arizona Water Conservation District, uh, was basically authorized by state legislation. Uh, gosh, 1971. Yes, 1971. Um, and we're sort of the stewards of the actual physical CAP system, the canal and its respective pumping plants and, and diversion points. One of our mission as an organization is to obviously operate the system uh, to, to divert water from the Colorado River uh, to central Arizona. And the idea being that... Um, out of Arizona's entire allocation of the Colorado River, uh, CAP is, is there to ensure that Arizona uses its entire amount, meaning that any Colorado River water not used by Arizona users along the river itself, uh, CAP can actually uh, divert and then deliver to customers in central Arizona. Now, prior to its being built, places like Tucson or places like Phoenix were they meeting their water demand or, I mean, was this also about getting water from where it, it is to where it wasn't? Yes. I mean, part of it was that, right? You're, you're correct. I mean, those areas that didn't have, uh, you know, access to a renewable water source. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of excluding uh, salt river project for, Phoenix, which, you know, is essentially uh, providing water from the Verde and uh, salt watersheds in northern Arizona. Uh, almost everywhere else, uh, you know, barring places that had access to San Pedro and so forth, was based, was dependent on groundwater. And um, 
as you know, if, if we don't actively recharge those aquifers, they, they're at very serious risk of depletion, and they were, uh, you know, up, up until uh, the 1980s when it was becoming an issue, and, and that led to the 1980 Groundwater Management Act. Um, so part of it is getting water to areas where it wasn't because most of Arizona's population resides in central Arizona, not along the river. So um, it, was, it was a way to also ensure that um, our water would be used um, where it is most needed. So then who are, who are your customers? Who do you deliver the water to? Well, as far as the water that we move in our canal, um, it covers pretty much a lot of the main uh, uh, types of users you would imagine. We have ag users um, in central Arizona as well as um, municipal industrial users, which you know uh, cover cities and and things of that nature. We also have um, Native American users or Indian users uh, that uh, we deliver water to, and part of the water also goes to um, recharge facilities um, in central Arizona. So, can you explain the priority system within? CAP? Well, how, how our priority scheme works as far as the water we deliver. There's actually, um, if you think, let me, let me take a step back and uh, to, to, to have this make more sense, I'll just briefly explain the Colorado River priority in Arizona before I jump to the CAP priority because that may make things uh, uh, more clear. Um, there are essentially six priorities for Arizona water Arizona users that utilize Colorado River water. Uh, priority one is uh, considered present and perfected water rights. Um, you have priority two and three, which for all intents and purposes are co-equal. And then you have priority four. Um, Central Arizona Project has a priority four contract. There's actually a priority five and priority six um, uh, contracts or, or, or categories in for uh, Colorado River water users in Arizona, but they're considered surplus or unused. And by nature of Central Arizona Project's contract is any water that is not used by higher priority users, meaning P4 and up, which obviously includes us, we utilize that, uh, we divert that volume of water. So for all intents and purposes, uh, Priority five and six are exactly as I mentioned. They're unused and excess, and usually, and actually, in almost all cases, they don't get their water. Uh, those users that have a P5, P6 contract don't get water that is assigned as a P5, P6. If we look into Central Arizona Project's um, priority system, at the very top, if you look at as far as the priority scheme goes, there's a, we actually deliver uh, Colorado River priority three water. Um, there are two users, uh, Native American uh, tribes, that have Colorado River water contracts to P3 that don't, don't have access to it because they're not situated along the river. Um, and so we deliver their water through our system. So you can consider that as being, our, in a sense, our highest priority. Below that, you have both um, the M&I priority and the Indian priority. Um, MNI is municipal and uh, industry. Wait, industrial. Industrial, right. yeah. Municipal industrial priority. That's correct. Okay. And Indian uh, priority, which for the for intents and purposes is mostly ag ag use, and those kind of have the same same level of priority. Below that, you have uh, non-Indian 
ag priority. So that's essentially uh, regular agriculture that's not uh, for Indian users. Um, and then below that, you start going into what we kind of consider our excess pools. Uh, the first of which is an ag, an ag pool, a general ag pool, uh, which is an, uh, can be considered an excess pool. And right below that, we have our, call it our other excess pool, which is if we have water uh, available beyond the needs of all of these categories, um, this is water that we can, contract may not be the correct word, but make available to other users, um, but on a non-guaranteed basis, meaning that from year to year that volume could change because it's not a guaranteed uh, priority or guaranteed uh, delivery from us like the other higher priority users. On the Colorado River, there is six priority levels. The, the higher numbers are ones that one may classify as being less guaranteed or more vulnerable or however you want to, you want to classify it. Uh, cap is a priority four. Um, so, right. and, and then within cap, there is different priorities as well. So you have MNI, uh, municipal and industry, you have Indian, mm -hmm. uh, and then you have non Indian ag. So, right. so that, so this would be a, a priority three or however you, a, a higher number in the, in the priority. And so are all of those numbers, the higher the number, presumably it's, it's less guaranteed is did I hear that correctly? Yeah, within for the CAP CAP priorities or uh, well, let's call them what they are. They're contracts. They're long term. Pretty much everything um, except the access pools are long term contracts to CAP customers in Central Arizona. Um, now, if you know, part of our obligation is to meet these long-term contracts. And that's why I say the excess pools, which is one is ag, an ag pool, and the other is an excess pool, aren't necessarily uh, guaranteed per se. You mentioned that CAP uh, diverts the water that on-stream users uh, do not use out of the total Arizona share. So could you give us a sense of the, the amount of water uh, being used by both of those? So... Arizona's share of the Colorado River in the lower basin is 2.8 million acre feet. The entitlement is 2.8 million acre feet out of the entire lower basin's 7.5 million acre feet. On average, um, currently, CAP diverts about uh, 1.6 million acre feet. Um, and so on-river users divert approximately 1.2 million acre feet. One thing to consider is um, currently on-river users, Colorado River on-river users in Arizona, aren't using up to their maximum entitlement, uh, meaning that even though they're diverting approximately 1.2 million acre feet, uh, there is always the possibility that that can increase. And um, the number, I believe, is closer to one, maybe 1.4-ish, is how much they can build up to. And these are principally farmers, or who's who's using these this water, on on river use. On river, most of the uses on river are ag. There's there is MNI uses, so there's cities. Um, so some of the examples you have, 
like the Yuma area, right? The city of Yuma, uh, that's an MNI user down there. Then you have uh, several ag districts, uh, Yuma Mesa Irrigation Drainage District, Welton Mohawk Irrigation Drainage District. There's also uh, a few um, a few uh, Indian tribes, uh, Colorado River Indian Tribe uh, diverts water from there, Fort Mojave Indian Tribe. And then you also have uh, several uh, National Wildlife Refuges. There's Havasu National Wildlife Refuge, which is actually just north of uh, where we divert off the Colorado River, um, Cibola, et cetera. So there's, there's also a wide mix of users, but as far as the bulk of use, um, it is ag. Ag is, is, has sort of the, the larger share of uses along the river. Okay, and, and so... CAP diverts 1.6 of the 2.8, at least it has this year relatively recently. Um, so of that, is there a, where does that 1.6 go? So the 1.6, um, it meets those long-term contracts that I, 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 uh, I've talked about and those various pools. The, the, out of the 1.6, if you just think of our guaranteed long-term contracts, I believe those amount to about 1.415 million acre feet. So anything above that goes to our excess pools. Another thing to consider is, um, for the most part, um, all of the users that fall into these different categories we have at CAP aren't, haven't ramped up all the way as well. Okay. Uh, if you look at their actual average use. So they also haven't ramped up to the entire amount in their respective priorities. So MNI priority, Indian priority, NIA priority, et cetera, um, are not using the entirety of their long-term contracts. I see. So you, so in recent years, um, because you've been taking more from the Colorado than you have contracts for, you've been building up that excess pool such that if the on-river users ramped up their use or if flow in, in CAP uh, were to be lowered, um, then you could dip into that excess pool and still meet your contractual obligations? Well, no. The way it's set up is we, 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 won't, we don't have to use the excess pool to meet our contractual obligations because we've already set the limits to what those contractual obligations are, and anything above that then becomes this excess pool. Um, so... What you could think about is another way to think about it is anything that we don't, you know, in terms of our of our contracts and our various pools, if we have anything left over that we don't give to our contracted users, right, our, our long-term contracts, and we don't necessarily uh, provide to short-term non-guaranteed contracts, we can either we can store that water and and we can store that water uh, as a recharge you know, for future use. And we've also stored some of that water in our uh, reservoir uh, just north of Phoenix, which is Lake Pleasant. It's our surface water reservoir. So we have a couple of options to make sure that we put all the water that we're diverting to beneficial use. So I think that provides a good segue in looking forward towards a potential for shortage on the Colorado River. So can you explain a little bit about what happens to CAP water if uh, we enter into a shortage declaration under, under the 2007 uh, guidelines? So 
a lot of our releases to the lower basin are governed by the elevations in Lake Mead, as you as you probably are familiar with. And, and at different elevations in Mead, um, that dictates the different types of releases that can occur from Mead to the lower basin states. Um, at last, I'm trying to remember, at last elevation, I think Mead was close to maybe 1090, 1090-something, 1090 1095-ish feet. Uh, elevation. Um, if we start going lower in elevation in Mead, and the shortage triggers in Mead are, uh, first tier shortage is when Mead approaches 1075 feet elevation. Uh, the second tier shortage is 1050 feet elevation, and then the third tier triggers at 1025 uh, ele feet elevation in Mead. Um, as these triggers occur, um, this impacts the volume of water that Mead releases that is available to Arizona. So that if Arizona, is, so that if Mead is in a tier one shortage, <clears throat> then there's a reduction to Arizona uh, about 320,000 acre feet. So that reduces uh, their 2.8 million acre feet allocation to uh, about 2.48 um, 2.48 million acre feet. Once you go to 1050, that goes to 2.4 million acre feet, and then in the tier three uh, shortage category, that becomes um, 2.32 million acre feet. So that's what happens on a state level, right? If you if you still consider how the system works as far as the priority scheme, meaning that CAP is a P4, then what would what you'd imagine would happen is that if all the higher higher priority users in Arizona that take Colorado River still use the amount they use, then the bulk of the shortage, essentially the majority of the shortage, if not all of it, would fall um, in CAP. So CAP would take essentially the hit of uh, with respect to the shortage. The only exception to that is if on-river users are utilizing Colorado River at a, at a at a amount that's very close to their full entitlements, um, and we're at a certain level of shortage, then we would have a situation where we go into this uh, priority four shortage sharing situation. There was an agreement where uh, it's it's a, it's basically a calculation where based on certain conditions, which I'm generalizing here, that uh, on-river users um, close to full entitlement or are at full entitlement and the cut is at a sufficient level, then instead of CAP taking 100% of the shortage, CAP takes on approximately about 90% of the shortage and then the priority four users would take about um, uh, 10%. So of the, uh, in that first shortage tier, which is about 320,000 acre feet, CAP is going to at least take a 90% hit. Like they'll take whatever 90% of 320,000 is. Yes, depending on what's happening on river. It sounds like relating that back to what you were talking about before, that that shortage would affect the excess pool. Absolutely. So, I mean, we could simplify this, right? Let's just say CAP takes the entire reduction, just to, just to simplify the scenario. 
in that case, if you look at a tier one shortage, and then we make the assumption that um, all the the CAP long-term contracts are being fully utilized, meaning that the entire volume amount is, is in use, then it would primarily um, impact your excess pool, your well, your excess pool in general, your other excess shortage pool would be completely gone, um, and it would start dipping into the ag pool, which is the general excess ag pool. And just to be clear, the excess pool, that's initially or currently is what's being used to recharge groundwater. Yes. Essentially, if anything that's left over from long-term contracts, which I told you aren't necessarily fully being utilized, and... Um, and other sort of short-term contracts or non-guaranteed, it could be recharged. That's correct. Okay, so part of that those that questioning was under a shortage, under a tier one shortage, i.e., ten seventy-five. Who are going to be the the people that will experience that reduction? And it seems like it's the groundwater banking authority or whoever are in charge of of restocking the groundwater, and then. Ag, but within ag, it's probably a certain segment of the uh, of of the sector as well. It would impact ag. It would impact um, CAP non-Indian ag um, and the excess pool, which could impact recharge. Yeah, I mean we're generalizing a lot of things here as far as what could happen, so it's it's hard to say with any certainty, with full certainty, uh, you know, not knowing what's happening on river, not knowing what is our sort of utilization of CAP water at the time. Is there a way, I mean, given that it's likely in the next two to three years, let's say, that there'll be um, a shortage declaration, is there, are you guys planning for something right now, or is it too far in advance to even make those sort of calculations? But, um, you know, as you get closer and you have more accurate estimates, then you can you can parse it out a little bit better. No, I think we're we've been on planning mode for a while, <laughs> in light of the you know the the potential shortage on the river. I mean, you know, a few years ago, I mean, it, it, every time as we move forward, you know, we tend to bump up the date. I remember in 2009, the earliest likelihood was in 2012, and obviously that that has changed. So every year we tend to see a little shift slightly moving forward but at the same time more and more as we get closer to a potential impending shortage on the river it, it it's the the shifting isn't moving uh, as much and and i think you've noted that uh, the range we're looking at is 20 2016 2017 uh, as of today um so we've always kind of been planning towards what how to prepare for this and 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 how to uh you know, what What could be our new normal? You know, what are the conditions that we'd, we'd have to operate under? What are the decisions we'd have to make? Um, and really, a lot of the planning, um, you know, if if you start thinking in the sense that if, if our given hydrology on the Colorado River, meaning, you know, uh, sort of our runoff or stream flow condition in the Colorado River, if that, if that continues to be dry as it has been, and we start shifting into, you know, a period where mead elevations are are going to be well into at least tier one shortage, then, you know, previous to this, our planning is to avoid shortage at all.
but if we're in a situation where we cannot, um, and you know we've exhausted several options to do so, then the idea is to minimize the damage, right? To to prevent us falling into lower tiers of shortage, because there is a lot of uncertainty. You know, per the interim guidelines, there's a lot of uncertainty of, you know, what will happen once Mead is at a uh, thousand feet elevation. You know, we have very clear guidelines from the uh, record of decision 2007. You know, what are the reductions to the lower basin states and these various shortage tiers? But, you know, outside of, uh, you know, providing uh, the secretary providing input on what will happen at a thousand feet or below, we don't know. And there are physical constraints, right? Um, for example, Southern Nevada Water Authority, which takes Nevada's share of the Colorado River, currently uh, their potential lowest intake doesn't take water out of Lake Mead below 1,000 feet. They actually have intakes on Lake Mead. That's how they uh, divert their water from the system. And you know, now you're talking about cutting off water to you know one of the major metropolitan areas in the West. So there's a lot of, obviously, physical uncertainty because we don't have actual uh, direction on what happens below a thousand feet but there's also um, uncertainty with respect to you know the the entities that depend on that water it seems like going below a thousand is you know maybe it's maybe it's realistic but it's still pretty far in in the future even under current conditions right i mean it would take a number of years to to, to have it dip um, below a thousand. We first have to get through all of the other shortages, which are set up to reduce the acceleration of depletion. One of the things we do that, uh, as part of the planning effort, we do a lot of uh, modeling um, for the Colorado River to determine, you know, what are the actual releases that are happening between Lakes Powell and Mead, and, and consequently, what are the elevations in Mead, what, and then what are the releases that happen for Mead. Um, there are, you know, certain simulations that potentially show us reaching a thousand in a span of six to eight years, um, which isn't far off, right? So if you're if you're considering tier one short happening in say, let's say 2017, in about three years, then within five years of that, you could hit a thousand. Now, obviously, this has assumptions associated with it, meaning that if 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 the hydrology, if the hydrologic condition, hydrologic, hydrologic conditions in the in the basin still persist to be dry, um, that's it could be a very possible reality. So you're right. I mean, we do we do have you know consider what will happen at these earlier tiers, but there's also situations where, you know, within a two-year span, you could already jump into the following shortage tier. So it, it doesn't necessarily stabilize in one tier, continue to significantly drop with respect to the elevation of need. I just have one final question. Let's say there is a shortage in the next three years. From your desk, does your job change at all? Is is there anything that's different that you do? Um, as far as how, how would my job change, I mean, I think in a sense it doesn't, right? Because we're always planning for whatever water supply we receive. So if we are continuing in shortage mode, we still need to, you know, the reality is we're not going to just let it happen. You know, we're always going to try to mitigate against the short um, and to reduce the impact. And, and that's kind of some of the, some of the planning 
activities we're doing now is what could we do to mitigate the impact by considering the supply in the system? You know, there's a number of augmentation products, uh, uh, projects we are kind of looking into and, and, and implementing, as well as uh, conservation efforts are also an area where you could try to mitigate, but I think a lot of it is going to have to come from augmentation and actually increasing the supply. A lot of the areas where you could conserve, whether in M&I or ag, uh, in central Arizona, we've a good amount of that has already happened. I mean, definitely in our ag, uh, ag users and, and our ag sector in central Arizona, they're pretty high as far as the potential efficiency they could reach. So I think there's always going to be a planning component on, on what we could do and what we can do. I mean, we have been banking water, and, then, and that's, that's another reason why, you know, uh, a shortage on the system doesn't directly translate to a shortage in Arizona. And what I mean by that as far as impacting our users' water supply volume that they're accustomed to using even though we have a shortage, and like I said, if uh, the, the discussion we've been having is if there was a one-to-one, -one, meaning if there was a shortage on the river and it had to take a cut right away, who would it translate to? The reality is, because of the amount of banked water we have, and we have to think about 3.2 million acre feet, which is double the amount that, approximately double the amount CAP diverts on an annual basis, we can ride it out. And so there's potential for not for us to not actually have to do any drastic changes um, until you know a couple of years or so down the line uh, and in that time a number of other factors can change the hydrology on the river can change as well so thanks a bunch again Mohammed we really appreciate the time